0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is brought to you by Inside Tracker one of my favorite companies and partners a company that I've been working with for a long time not just in terms of them sponsoring the show but just me purchasing my own stuff through them because frankly what you see in the mirror and what you see on the scale may tell some story but it certainly doesn't tell the whole story and that's exactly where inside tracker can basically step in and do the work for you so every you know three or four months i get an ultimate test through inside tracker which gives me kind of the full details on 43 different biomarkers some that are very very important to me also the inner age uh test which is a new thing that they do that i'm really loving as well for me I want to see where my testosterone is. I want to make sure that my iron levels and my vitamin D levels are good. And my lipid panel. I, my lipid panel is not good. and something that I need to monitor. We all have certain things we want to keep um, you know, keep track of. And Inside tracker is there for all of us. Also, they're there for you because you can save 25% by just going to InsideTracker.com forward slash Rambling Runner or using Rambling Runner at checkout. 25% off. That is a steal. Of a deal. So go over there today and go check it out. So in this episode, we got the two part episodes, a Friday tradition now. We got the first one, first part of the episode, I should say, is with Cheryl Miller, a fantastic runner who went to Georgetown on a running scholarship, but that's maybe the least interesting part about her which tells you how interesting she truly is. I'm not going to try to tell her story in short because you're about to hear the whole thing but let me tell you this woman is incredible and that conversation that we had could have gone on for another two or three hours. <laughs> I mean it got to the point where I was like okay we're going to shut down here and maybe hopefully get her back on the show another time. It truly was a fantastic conversation and then with our running between the lines segment we have Matt Fitzgerald back on the show who wrote a uh, interesting piece Uh, for Podium Runner last week about Ethiopian training and a book that we both read by Michael Crowley uh, that details the training of Ethiopian runners. So let's get into it first with Cheryl and then with Matt. Hello, Cheryl, and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan of your show. And so this is really cool. It's really nice to meet you.
0: This is so exciting for me. So you have done a lot of really interesting things with running. And while you may have started your running career as someone who probably would never be on the show because you were an elite runner at an early age, you're doing amazing things. And this is a show for and about dedicated amateur runners. You are one of those people now. And I am so excited to talk to you about this journey. Anyone who listens to this show regularly knows that I am a huge basketball fan. I grew up playing basketball played in college, coached in college, you have a very famous basketball name. And there may be people seeing this show, many people, in fact, that don't know that. But I know that my good friends who keep it tabs on this podcast are going to see that I have Cheryl Miller on the (laughs) podcast. And they're going to think, holy crap, I can't (laughs) believe Matt did it. He has Cheryl Miller on the podcast. The best college, the best women's basketball player of all time is on Matt's (laughs) podcast with that said, we should, you know, set the record straight on that though.
1: I am not Cheryl Miller, the basketball player. I actually would get so frustrated. People would always ask me if I was Cheryl Miller. And then the next question, cause they obviously knew I wasn't, do I know who she was? And I always wanted to be known as Cheryl Miller, the runner. So it used to irk me, but she's amazing. And, um, i very fortunate to actually
0: share her name right i guess like as someone whose name is not replicated anywhere right if if you see a chittim with any first name yeah
1: i'm probably related
0: to them it's just not a very common name i mean in all actuality, you at least you're had the same name as someone who is highly regarded as a person right it could have gone worse
1: yeah, She did cool stuff. So it could, you You can always go either way. Right. Um, so no, I'm pretty fortunate in that regard.
0: <laughs> right. Like if someone Googles you, they might be like, Oh, Oh no, no it's not that show. It's almost like someone who's like, Oh, like, yeah, my but, name's, yeah. you know, John Bundy. Why do people keep asking me these weird questions?
1: Right. right no, luckily I don't have that issue at the moment. So. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I'm excited to get you on the show. Uh, like I said before, You are someone who's doing amazing things from a running perspective, but you took a 20-year break from running, which is a long time. People feel like if they take a 20-day break from running, and I'm one of these people, it feels like we have completely started from scratch. Um, So 20 years obviously is very different. But early on in your career, you were a very highly regarded runner, um, ran at Georgetown. So just talk to me a little bit about, like, Of your pre Georgetown days, like how you fell into running and gained success in the sport,
1: sure. So it's funny, I actually originally didn't want to run. Um, my high school had a very amazing soccer team and a field hockey team, and I wanted to play field hockey, and I actually made the JV team. Um, but my family just really struggled financially, and I couldn't buy a lot of the equipment that you need to play those sports, and so I was always the girl. Who was borrowing the the one stick that you could borrow from the old shed, um, you know, and I was kind of asked by the high school cross country coach if I'd come out for the team. And I said, no, 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 you know, I was really hooked on being a field hockey player. I was just going to go pro. And um, I remember I I broke a girl's ankle. And so that wasn't really good. Um, I just swung my stick so hard and I missed the ball and that was not you know, that wasn't helping. my Was family. this a
0: teammate or uh, someone on the other team?
1: Luckily, she was on the other team, at least. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, it kind of made me pause. Um, and then we got a new coach. And he was this booming personality, Frank LaBianca. He was a successful cross-country and track coach. Uh, this short little Italian guy with this huge presence. And he dared me to kind of come down to the track. And I did. And, um, he actually, you know, he was the kind of coach that could just get the best out of his athletes and we formed just an amazing bond. Um, he kind of understood that I had a challenging home life and a challenging background. And I think he almost was drawn to runners who were like similar to me in that regard. Um, and I had a great career with him. I made the, um, the varsity track team as a seventh grader, which was extremely intimidating. Uh, you know, because there I was towing the line with these really popular girls who were 12th graders and then I was running faster than them. And that was kind of a weird um, place to be. And I turned on the TV and I saw Jackie Joyner-Kersey. I saw all these amazing sprinters and they looked like me. And I thought, you know, looked a little like me. And I thought, man, I'm a sprinter. You know, I'm going to run the 100, the 200. I'm going to go to the Olympics. And my coaches slowly migrated me up which for some runners is is tough because I didn't see myself as a distance runner. I thought, no, 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 I, you know, I'm, I'm a hundred runner and um, they wound up finding um, the 1500 and the 800 be my sweeter spots. And so uh, I wound up winning the New York state championship for the 1500. I passed on running the 800. Um, so a teammate of mine could compete um, because I actually made it, States for both events, but I opted out of one and uh, we managed to get our relay team uh, to States for the first time. Uh, And that was really, that was like the icing on the cake um, because I had to, I had to choose between States or prom. And it doesn't seem like, I mean, it should be a no brainer, but as a young girl who was nerdy, who maybe might get asked and my family they understood track, but didn't. And for them, you know, why would you miss prom? I mean, they actually had talks.
0: So was this, was this senior prom? Yeah. So they,
1: they had talks with me about, you know, missing prom and is that, you know, what I want to do. And it was the sweetest gesture ever. My relay team, the girls sports dinner actually occurred before prom and they bought me a corsage and they said, you know, I know we're, we're not the same, uh, but we think we're pretty awesome dates. And I thought that was the coolest ever. And, I don't regret it. Obviously, I mean, looking back on it, it's like, what? Like, why would I even care? Um, but when you're young, these things, you know, seem larger than life, right? Um, so, state championship was kind of um, a real cherry on um, the top of my career, uh, it, in part because I had injured my ankle right before, so I had a partially, I had a partially broken bone in my ankle, and I was really unsure um, at one point that I would even be allowed to run. And that was uh, a little bit stressful. I, you know, I had our head athletic director. She was really trying to encourage me to not, you know, she said, and she, at which she should have, um, you know, she did all the right things. She said, you know, you could really injure yourself long-term. And I remember being in the doctor's office and um, he was telling me the same thing. And I said, I really need you to sign me to run. I said, um, this is like my one shot. Like, this is my shot. I, and he said, you know, well, this could impact your life. And I said, well, actually running could also impact my life. And it did, Um, you know, it put me on the map for a lot of college scouts and uh, for a girl whose parents didn't even graduate high school, um, having that opportunity to go to college was just, it, you know, it changed my life um, tremendously. So, so yeah, so I, I mean, I have so many fun stories um, just from those days. I think one that really sticks out for me and here I go being chatty. So please stop me if I'm talking too much.
0: You know the name of this podcast, Cheryl. Uh, Just let it fly.
1: Uh, am I rambling enough to be like, <laughs> maybe i invited back. You know? <laughs> um, I remember it was actually the conference race leading up to, uh, so in New York, I don't know if it's the same in every state, but you run conferences, counties, and uh, then your state meet. And I was on the line for the 800 and the gun went off and we ran, we were, kind of like midway down the 100 stretch almost. And out of the corner of my left eye, I saw um, the youngest girl, seventh grader um, who was, this was her first uh, conference race. She tripped and she fell. And I just immediately stopped. And I they, they had to stop the race. I mean, they didn't have to stop the race, but they chose to stop the race. And it's interesting, you know, when people ask me about it, it in part, it was just, I just felt she should have her shot. I think everyone deserves it. And I was bummed that they didn't choose to um, shoot the gun and stop it on their own. And then in part, there had to be a lot of ego involved there because I was convinced they were going to stop it if I stopped. And I don't to this day really understand all that. But I I turned around and I remember just like put out my hand and helped her up. And I don't remember what I said, but I was just trying to, you know, it's embarrassing. And I, I thought, you know, here she is, um, she, she should have a chance to kind of run. Um, one of my friends joke, well, fewer runners, isn't that better for you? And I've just always thought the opposite. You know, I just think we all make ourselves so much better together if we're all doing the training and we're showing up and we're competing together. Uh, but years later, her mom uh, found me and my grandpa, she came up to us in a Baskin Robbins of all places. <laughs> And it was a moment I won't forget because she really seriously thanked me and told me that that moment that I had forgotten about, I didn't even think about it, had really had a positive impact on her daughter. And I've always think back to that and things that I do um, just in life in general, just because I think we never realize what a gesture or what something we say, um, you know, kind of the impact that it has on other people.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Just because it doesn't have a big impact on you doesn't mean it won't have a big impact on somebody else.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So I have to ask, as someone who's been to more New York high schools than I care to admit yeah. through the, the course of my various jobs
1: there's, there's a lot in, of them.
0: In, in higher education, um, which high school did you go to?
1: It was Rocky Point Junior Senior High School. So it ran grade, grade 7 through 12. And uh, we didn't have a winter track team, which made, uh, the first part of my running career really tough because literally I, you know, I couldn't compete inside with everyone. I would have, you know, I'd run outside, but it's just not the same as um, being able to compete. So we pushed to change that under title nine. And we actually got that changed in time, um, for the winter before my senior year. And I I do think that certainly helps me and help girls on the team. So that was a great change that we managed to make happen
0: would you do the running in the hallways? I know our, our indoor track team during yes. the winter, that's what they would do. Like you had to like be on a high alert when they were yeah. practicing. Most people weren't in the school at the time because I played basketball, I was. And you'd see these people like just tearing around the school.
1: So I thought we were the only school that did that. And I, I don't know why. And it just, I used to hate having to do that too. It was like, there was like a level of embarrassment. And we'd go up the different floors and whatnot. And being in New York, we'd get a lot of snow. And so it was... Also, we we had to break down the snow on the track, and that was always the worst. You know, you'd see you'd have a snow day like on a Saturday practice or something. You say, "Oh man, you know, you got to we got to go break down all the snow first, and then kind of run practice."
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that is that's that's wild. Now you mentioned that your coach you thought took a liking to you in part because like. It sounded like you like the underdog kind of story. Obviously, you were a talented runner, right? I mean, you were on the team as you were the best runner on the team as seventh grader, right? So the talent was undeniable, but you made it clear that it was more than that with, with this gentleman. Um, and you, you know, kind of like you talked a little bit about how like you had a rough family life. Um, and that might have been part of the reason that he, you know, took liking to you and tried to like support you. Would you mind, you know, adding to that? Like, when you say you had a tough family life, what exactly does that mean?
1: Um, you know, I, or, yeah, I was born in Jersey city, uh, which, you know, how I came to Long Island, it was really, my grandparents moved for me. It was just not the most positive environment. Um, and that's I'm trying to think of the nicest way to put it. There was just a lot of, um, violence, a lot of drugs, a lot of, it was an inner city environment. I mean, running there, you know, uh um, When I'd go and I'd visit family who still lived in Jersey City, you know, I'd be running around Pershing Field and there's drug needles, you know, um, people passed out, uh, that type of a scene, um, if you can understand that. And my coach knew that um, my dad was not in my life. Um, He also knew that my mom really wasn't around and my grandparents were raising me. And so he didn't have all the full details, but he could kind of see. I mean, when I showed up for track practice, I didn't even have the right running sneakers. I don't even know what I was wearing at the time, but one of the coaches had to say to me, okay, you know, you gotta get running shoes. I thought running shoes, like I didn't even know what that was. I thought sneakers, right. I had sneakers. And so it, it was, um, coach LaBianca who actually would put me as child take, you took me to my first running shoe store. I didn't even know there was such a thing. It was just, wow. I was a kid in a candy shop. And, um, when I first started running a girl on my team, um, so kind Uh, when I was in seventh grade, she actually gave me a pair of her racing flats, And I thought that was like the kindest gesture ever that, um, you know, she saw that I didn't have any. And um, she said something really sweet. Like, you know, I know you'll do great things in needs or something. And that certainly um, had a big impact on me, but he could see that my family was struggling. I mean, we were living on less than I think $11,000 a year which even though that was back in what, like 1992, 1994, um, it still was not a lot to stretch out. And um, it certainly had an impact on me. My aunts and uncles, uh, well, my uncles, unfortunately, um, they were very caught up in drugs and alcohol. And my mom was too. And um, she eventually um, wound up telling me one day as, you know, I was a, In junior high getting pulled aside and my mom told me that she was dying and I thought what like what do you mean you're dying Um, she said I want you to know I have HIV and our family might not really tell you um, kind of what's going on but I want you to know the truth and I just I was too young to even understand what she was telling me and I remember I think it was later that week in health class some one came in to tell us, explain to us what HIV AIDS was. And I just was like, froze. I thought, whoa, I, no, this can't really, uh, you know, my mom can't actually have this. Like, that's just crazy. And it was the 90s. So the uh, the opinion around that illness was really negative. You know, it, what, people really didn't feel bad for you. Not that people, sh- you know, not that people should feel bad for you when you're ill, but they they treated it just differently. Um, And I pretty much had to keep it a secret because I don't know, I thought, well, what would happen if for some reason someone was worried that I had it and they could catch it and I couldn't run, you know, or what if, you know, for some reason people, this would overshadow the fact that I'm trying to be this great runner and I'm trying to get straight A's in school and X, Y, and Z. Um, So, I kept it a secret for a really long time. I only opened up about it, um, actually, when I was in college. And at Georgetown, I remember uh, Professor Rebecca Pope, she actually uh, taught the very first class called um, AIDS and Misrepresentations. And I remember first day of class, she kind of went around the room and asked everyone why they were there. And you know, students were talking about how they needed credits for this, or they were, you know, studying for this and blah, 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 blah. You know, it was Georgetown. So I am going to be president someday. And I just stood up and I said, my mom had um, AIDS. And I sat back down and then other students started saying, talking about people that they knew um, who were impacted by it. And it certainly was a class that helped me to kind of find my voice in terms of being able to talk about it. Um, And now I, I, can talk about it pretty freely. I mean, years ago, I couldn't be doing this, you know, I couldn't, you know, um, you know, as part of my healing now I can kind of talk freely about the experience, but you know, there was a, it takes time to be able to do that. And I was way too young for that back then.
0: So what, what part, if any, did running have in your life that led you down this extremely positive path where so many people in your family, like you mentioned, you know, did not end up going down, uh, the direction maybe that you had. So what were some of the factors, um, that maybe helped you or helped guide you, um, down that path where it could have been in retrospect, maybe easier than you realized at the time for you to maybe go the other direction.
1: Well, I think the team aspect of running, it gave me a family. Um, and I think my coach really cultivated that, you know, he made sure, all the parents were kind of looped in. We were really tight knit. And um, I mean, he would call my house, which at the time I'd get really annoyed sometimes, but he developed a whole relationship with my grandpa and it really made my grandfather feel important and special and a part of it as well. And he kind of had a way of doing that um, with all of uh, his athletes as well as parents. Um, He also in coaching me was you know, it was the running, but also it was more than that. He would hand me books and had me reading different books that were really positive. Um, he had me reading different sayings. I remember him handing me this card one day and it said, um, talent is God given be humble. Fame is man given, be thankful. Conceit is self given, be careful. And I just never forgot that. I just, it, totally impacted me and um, it changed the way I kind of wanted to approach the sport and how I wanted to win and um, how I wanted to race. And I remember him asking me one day, said, you know, after I think I won one, one or two of my first races and, it, you know, that's just such a high when you're that young, when you like get that first place after training, it's like, oh, um, you know, he asked me afterwards, he said, well, do you want to be a winner or do you want to be a champion? And I thought, what? well, you know, of course I don't want to be a champion, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I want to be a champion. And that's when, you know, he started explaining things to me that at first as a young person didn't make sense. Like he'd say, well, you know, champions don't always win. Like what What are you talking about? Like, of course we always win. Um, you know, and taught me these lessons about winning with grace, losing with grace, et cetera. And I think that these were, um, additional lessons that not only impacted my running, but impacted me as a human, um, you know, just later in life. And I think on the individual level, you know, being in a house that was so chaotic, running was so stable and so predictable. If I showed up at practice, my coach was there. You know, if I kept training, I saw positive results in my times. Um, You know, if I did X, Y, and Z, um, you know, there was stability. I knew I was going to have a meet on a Monday or Tuesday and an invitational on a Saturday. Like I knew that I was training for something and I knew, um, I was, you know, my big goal was to be state champion and, um, you know, not only just state champion with the team, but also, um, state champion individually. And my coach had never had an individual state champion. And so that was kind of like, it was a big, um, it was a big deal uh, to be able to achieve that together. Like it was just both of our goal, um, if that makes sense. And I think overall just movement in general is so positive. And I think for kids um, or young adults, the ability to be part of a sport, to be able to move, et cetera, it's just, it helps in so many different ways. It certainly got me out of the house. Um, it got me out of a negative environment, um, It helped build my confidence. Um, It introduced me to new people. It introduced me to to travel. The first time I was ever on an airplane was to fly to a meet when I was at Georgetown. And I was like freaking out because I was like, oh, we're going to take a plane. (laughs) You know, I I must have sounded so backwards. And all my teammates were like, yeah, like we're just getting on a plane. Like it's no big deal. You know, a plane. Are you kidding me? Like we could never afford to fly somewhere. You know, that was a big deal. Um, But it the sport opened doors and opened my eyes to different things. And um, I think with all the pain that I was feeling with my mom, you know, that, you know, losing your mom is a big thing. And my family certainly didn't talk about it. And I think, you know, when that happens, having someone to talk about it for someone who's yet for someone, any age um, is a positive And I just didn't have that. So the pain that I was feeling there, it's just, I could express it in a different way. Um, you know, the pain on the track, it it was not really pain. It was, um, almost just a way for me to just let everything out instead of maybe screaming or, or doing something else. Like I was just running it out of me. Um, and I remember the race, uh, my state race, um, gosh, it was, it was so, um, funny that I remember this, but, I was coming around like the last bend of uh, the 1500. We had, we started off slow. Like it was slower than I wanted the, the first half to be. And I don't remember what I was. I think I was scared. Um, there was another girl in the race and I was like kind of right behind her. And um, I just remember someone screaming, like do it for your mother. And that was like, I just went into, you know, um, like fourth gear on that. And looking back on it, I'm just surprised as an adult that I didn't, and break down and cry and you know and um I remember one of the things that my coach had said is you know because I I would I was kind of a bit of a smart ass I would talk back and you know I he'd say you know he'd say oh you know um what's wrong you know it's the day after Easter we're at practice what's wrong Cheryl you missed your chocolate bunny you know all all kinds of stuff to just motivate you and you know get under your skin and whatnot and in a in a really funny it was never in a bad way but we just go back and forth and um I remember him saying me asking like oh you know champion like how am I going to even know when I'm a champion you know like someone's going to write me a letter or someone's going to whatever I thought it was all smart alecky he said you'll know he said because um people from the other teams are going to be cheering for you and it just stopped me I thought what and at that meet at States, I'll never forget. Like I could hear distinctly the voices from some of the girls from Suffolk County, and other teams that I ran against cheering for me. And I was like, holy, they're actually cheering for me. <laughs> like Clearly they don't have anyone in this race. No. <laughs> right.
0: but, wow. Wow. And then here you are, you had that goal, New York state champion team and individual, you achieve it. You're going off to Georgetown. I mean, this is, you know, all the things are lining into place for you in terms of like goals that you had set and visions for your individual future. So once you knock down these goals, did you start to set like, all right, I'm going to Georgetown. Here are my new set of goals. Like when, when, when you started down that path, how did things kind of refresh?
1: Well, college running is really different and um, it's tough. Uh, You know, um, i almost think college running might be tougher. I, I've never done the, the pro past college um, running, but it, it can eat, chew you up and spit you out. And um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. I didn't even understand what college was. You have to understand. Um, I thought I was going to go and work at McDonald's and I decided I wanted to go to Georgetown um, for a lot of different reasons and to pack for college. I packed a duffel bag just to give you an understanding of how I just was not prepared for college. So I packed a duffel bag. My coaches actually drove me down because there was no other way I could even get there. We just, we didn't have the money. We had means. I had never visited or anything. I just kind of showed up on Georgetown's doorstep. And um, I remember I was one of the, the first girls to arrive. And there was another girl from the team um, who I believe she was from Finland. And there was a little bit of a communication, um, difficulty with us both language wise, and we were both homesick. And I, 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 remember that. And, um, one of our, uh, current teammates, so kind, um, came and, and kind of took us out and, uh, walked us around Kate Landau. And I just thought that was like the kindest thing ever. Cause I was scared. It was this huge school and I thought, Oh my gosh, like it's Georgetown. It was all hitting me all at once. And, um, I didn't have a great first cross country season. I didn't have a great academic. Can I stop um,
0: you there? You said Kate Landau? Yeah. Kate Landau's been on this show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kate Landau's an amazing, an amazing runner, just like you, a McCurdy trained athlete as well, who, what, she finished 10th at Boston last year or a year, two years ago? She is truly
1: amazing. I'm like an okay runner compared to her, but no, she isn't just an amazing person. Um, just, all
0: around wow i didn't really i never knew this story that's so that's amazing i'm sorry i cut you off i was like wait hold on i know <laughs> yeah, this person no.
1: yeah no it, i don't i don't know that she even remembers because she was like she she. we were talking um just over social media because uh, you know she had had some um big events positive events in her life and i was congratulating her and she was like wait a second she was like did we aqua jog together in the pool when we were in, I was like, yeah, I was like, I I was one of the aqua joggers too. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I you know, college had me scared and I don't think I had fully dealt with, um, my mom's stuff. And so I actually wound up, it was the hardest decision I ever made. Um, I walked into my coach's office and I told him I was quitting the track team. And, um, It just, it felt like failure, but I knew for me, it was what was best for me. I had to get a handle on my studies and I had to just kind of just find myself almost. And I know that maybe that sounds um, just like I'm a total wimp. I don't know. Um, But I just knew for me, I had to stop. And I had also, um, I wrecked my ankle again and I was training, you know, hoping to, to it junior olympics which it wasn't um you know it's not the real thing or anything but still for me it was kind of a big deal it was a big goal and i was just so disappointed that i injured myself again i was really frustrated and you know injuries can just be gosh they can suck your soul out sometimes um you know, they can just be so hard and so i took it really really hard um and i thought to myself well if i'm not going to be running i need I, I still want to do something with a big impact. And so I started working with kids who um, were really in need um, at the Devereux foundation in Washington, D.C. And I was taking child psychology classes at the time. And um, so that was something that um, certainly was a positive for me to focus on, but I just kept getting more involved in different charity work and, and that sort of a thing instead. So, yeah, so I, um, walking away was tough. And, you know, in the 20 years, I would jog here and there. I, you know, I still ran. Um, I just couldn't do the competitive stuff. Um, For whatever reason, I just decided I didn't want to do that. Um, And I, there was one race that I ran um, in my 20s. I didn't mean to run it. It was a half marathon. I hadn't run. I hadn't trained, nothing like that. And my good friend Maria was uh, about to run this marathon for charity, uh, for cancer. And I said, well, let me fly out to Arizona with you just to cheer you on. I really wanted to support her. And she said the day before, she said, well, why don't you just, um, jog with our group, you know, the, the morning before. And I said, okay, you know, I'll, I can do well, I thought you
0: were going to say just jog with the group for the marathon. I was like,
1: no, 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 just jog with our group. <laughs> So I'm jogging with the group and there was this guy and, you know, he had the goo and he had the water and he had the the singlet and he was just like Mr. Runner. And, um, you know, I'd been away from it for a while. And I'm just, and he's talking a lot and like more than me, which is crazy. And I, I just turned to him and I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to enter the race. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to enter the half marathon. He said, you can't. I said, what do you mean? I can't. I said, registration's still open. He's like, you can't do that. So her team's like, she's, gonna kill herself she doesn't have any goo she doesn't have she didn't ha- doesn't know she didn't do the 2.3 training plan and all this you know stuff that they were doing and I hadn't I mean I hadn't and it was the rock and roll half marathon and all I could think of is I just want to beat this dude like I I just want to kick his you know and the gun went off and I was just flying and I I mean I was flying and I put myself I decided I was going to put myself in the second fastest group And I just, I started passing all these people. And so I missed making the paper by, I think it was like one. And I just remember being at the finish line. And I didn't even understand, like, you know, they're handing me the the foil and bananas and whatever. And I was just staying there waiting for him, like waiting for him. But like, (laughs) I was like waiting for him because I wanted to be like, ah, (laughs) you know, and then I realized. Okay, that was that's really dumb. I was like, this is what's wrong. I'm really competitive. Okay, like now I see why. Like I have to be either all in with running or I need to just chill because I can't, there's like no in between.
0: <laughs> hey everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having Things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options. And it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today is $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to every plate entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking athletic greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery. Literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to, like, take a pause during the sentence. Uh, But it's it's legit, and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that – Getting my vitamins and minerals from, from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens, to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Right. Well, especially if you have that external that external motivation is one thing. Other thing, though, is that when you have that drive of like, okay, you've been really good at something. Now you've been away from it. How do you handle coming back as a novice, relatively speaking? Obviously, you were never a novice completely. You just walked into a half marathon and ran with the second fastest group. So obviously, it's not like you're like, all right, 12-minute mile pace. Here I come. <laughs> However, relatively speaking, you were not. Like, Could you, could you handle being like the, you know, the JV squad version of you as a runner, or was that something that was like too hard to handle and part of the reason why you didn't come back to running in a more consistent way earlier?
1: You know, it wasn't part of the reason why I didn't come back. Um, But I definitely was struggling with the identity of being a runner. And a big reason why I didn't come back is I just didn't have the support system. I think you have to have a solid support system to be able to run it, to run at that level. People need to understand, you know, your training, um, your, you know, it's, it's not, you know, you don't just wake up and quickly jog. I mean, it's a huge commitment. And I had decided that I was going to go ahead and become an attorney. And so all the energy I would have put into running was just nonstop, 24-hour law school, law school, law school. And then I wanted to launch my career and I had specific goals. I wanted to um, make a speech at the United Nations, which I did. I wanted to represent the global technology community at the United Nations, which I did. I wanted to become an executive at Verizon. I like had all these crazy things. I wanted to write legislation, you know, which like kind of looking back on it, they're kind of crazy goals. Like, so it's like, you know, there weren't like, winning races, but it was the same trajectory, only in a different area. And, For sure. Um,
0: Champ- championships all around.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I'd say these things like, yeah, you know, you know, you tell people, yeah, I think I'd like to make that speech at the United Nation. And I know people would look at me and just think like, who? I'm sure I was annoying. Like, who is she? Like, who? Like, you
0: know. Well, that's a great question. <laughs> Did you ever ask that of yourself? Right? Because so many people, when they try something new, there is that self-doubt. There is that imposter syndrome. Whatever you want to call it, here you are. You've done miraculous things. Even with somebody who had all the advantages in life, those things would have been incredibly difficult. And yet, you didn't have a lot of those advantages, and you did them anyway. No matter who did them, they were going to be a, a really, really hard thing to get to. You did. What are some things from that the the, going through that kind of process again pick and choose which ones you want to what you want to select from but the things that you can say okay no matter which endeavor i was going in here are some things that i took from the process that would be you know are you able to utilize in any endeavor or for any process in order to get to that next level
1: man that's like an sat question (laughs) that's a really that's a really good question um I certainly believe allowing yourself to fail. And I think as a society, we like, we like, we have this um, way of approaching failure that makes it difficult for people to even try things at times. Um, You know, and I think um, once I actually leaving the track team helped me in some ways because my life didn't end, you know um, it was a failure in some regards, but it, was part of my process that gave me room to heal and do other things. Um, I certainly think um, just having this mantra of make tomorrow better than today, um, where even if, today, you know, today could be a great day, make tomorrow even better. Today could be just the worst day, just make tomorrow better. Um, to kind of keep coming back uh, because especially, you know, law school was tough. Um, you know, you're, Training for something that so few people, um, you know, can pass, like this the bar exam. And I took the New York State bar exam um, because I decided that I just I wanted to take the hardest bar exam, if I, one of the hardest ones, if I was going to do it. And I wanted to do international work. Um, I think recognizing your um, your strengths and weaknesses, at being but being honest with yourself about them is a tough one. I think sometimes we kind of gloss things over. And I think um, for me, just kind of being truthful with myself was hard. Like there are some things that I'm good at. And then there are some things that, you know what, Cheryl, maybe you should go in this other direction. Um, to kind of be self-aware, I think, I, you know, I it's like it goes along with the being humble and the highs and lows. It's kind of winning can put you on this amazing high sometimes when things are going well and your, you know, your grades are good this and that and then losing, um, can almost be the, the opposite. And I think just being aware of yourself and your environment, um, allowing myself, this was a really hard one that I still struggle with. Um, just allowing myself to take a break. I, Oh, I'm a real type A person and, um, like a day off, like I fidget, you know, um, my coach, Sarah, she gave me the first day off. And I I was like, I don't know if you've ever seen Jack Nicholson in the movie as good as it gets, where he's preparing to drive the car and he's folding his gloves. And that was me. I was like, okay, well maybe I'll go for a ride in the country. You know, I just didn't know what to do with myself.
0: You took 20 years off. You couldn't take a day off.
1: Yeah, no, it's, but once you're back in it, you're, you know, you're kind of in it.
0: Um, All right. Let me ask you, let me, let me touch on that then. You know, you mentioned. Not only have you been super successful, you also have that that type A personality. So how do you manage to overcome stumbles, right? Because it's not a linear path in any of these endeavors. However, you've achieved so much. So how have you overcome those inevitable stumbles, false starts, you know, many failures along the way?
1: It's tough. Um, I certainly... I always go back to the beginning. I remind myself of where I came from. And uh, I think a lot of times we we, we kind of glaze over our own accomplishments and achievements. So when I stumble and I fall, I just remind myself, look, I've done these things though. Um, You know, this is do, I can do this. Maybe I just need to keep at it. Maybe I need to keep trying. Um, Or maybe I need to reevaluate my process. I'm not quite reaching this goal. Um, So what's my strategy for getting to the goal? Like, what are the things that I'm trying to do? You know, we always make these, these, I think sometimes, not we always, but I think something I used to do is I'd I'd make these kind of pie in the sky goals of, all right, I'm going to eat healthy. Okay, well, how are you going to do that? And how are you going to keep yourself accountable? And so um, I've also been in later years, a little easier on myself. I used to be really hard on myself when I was younger, when I'd stumble and fall, like get up, <laughs> you know, get up, keep going, you know? And now like I stumble and fall. I'm like, all right, you fell. Take a deep breath. You know, you're okay. Um, I, I, You're making me laugh because I actually did fall for real. Um, I was running at this part of my running. So I've been running ar- across the country. Um, I just want to run in as many different States as I can, just because I, I think it's awesome. And I, uh, I've i not, I never visited a, a number of states and I traveled. In- are,
0: are we recording this in a Winnebago somewhere? You're, you're running yeah, across in, the country?
1: Yeah, I'm in my RV. I'm in Arizona, but I don't live here. I mean, I, I'm. Here. All right. Yeah, but I like, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, but at any rate, I was in New Mexico. So I sent a text to one of the running stores and I was like, hey, I was like, there are all these cool trails and I'd love to. Run some of them, um, you know, any of your running groups want to meet up. And so um, one of the guys who's a manager at the store, he and his buddy took me on this trail. Now, I'm not a trail runner, but, you know, I have that can do attitude. So we're running the trail. This is actually a little bit of a funny story. We're running the trail, we're running. And, you know, I'm not, I've never trained in high altitude before in my life. You know, um, I'm living in Maryland, Virginia. That's like, we're like flat. So we're already at 7,000 feet in Santa Fe. We go out. We, we hit the top, it's like 9,300 feet and I'm huffing and it, we, you know, we hit, we covered 2000 feet in like two miles or something ridiculous. So oh, it, was, it was like, it was a big climb. And like, I went from desert, like I was in snow and I'm like, I, you know, I did have gloves and hat, whatever, but I'm like freezing. And um, the one guy, so funny, Steven, he says, Oh, look at this. And I thought, well, oh, what has he got like a stick or something? He picks it up it's this not off deer leg. And I just like the realization of what I set out to do had hit and they're both talking and I'm like, well, how would that happen? He was like, Oh, mountain lion. And his, his buddy had a quick recovery. He says, Oh no, you know, deer, deer, you know, they pass from natural causes and I'm thinking, you know, there's a big cat somewhere around here and I don't want to be, lunch or anything um so yeah so it was like wow cheryl you oh yeah i'll just go on a trail run i didn't have like you know my bear spray or anything i was like how am i going to defend myself up here so on the way back we get through all these technical parts of the trail and this is so typical of me like we're we're running like i mean it was high it was crazy and then we get to a completely flat area and I, i fall like i miss all the places that you can have this amazing fall i miss and i i trip and i fall and i hit my knee so hard and my initial reaction is like i'm fine you know i jump back up and he was like just walk a little bit just you know it's okay and i was like no no i'm fine i'm good oh <laughs> it took God. a little while to heal i had a really, i actually had a bruised bone um but i'm a lot i'm a lot better now um but yeah like you The stumbles, I mean, you have to just take them for what they are and they happen and they can happen hard and fast. And I think just let yourself recover. I mean, whether it's a business idea, whether it's um, a running goal, whatever. I mean, I've had so many ideas for things that I wanted to do in the business world. And, um, you know, I wanted to open up this store and COVID hit. And I thought, you know what? It's okay. I had this cool idea and the environment is just not right for it right now. Um, I'm not going to get upset about it. I invested a little bit in it, but I'm just going to pull back and I'm going to refocus on something else. So that's kind of, I mean, I don't know if that's a very good answer, but that's kind of how I've tried to, um, you know, approach it.
0: No, that's wonderful. And, and, And it begs another question because here you are, you've done a lot of things. You've also said no to certain things right? You've had plenty of opportunities. So there are a lot of forks, potential forks in the road, a lot of decisions that can be made. We highlighted one at Georgetown, right? So you say no more to track with this different vision, what I need for myself. And you go down this other path in a very, very useful one, but it's not that there weren't other forks in the road as you, as you progressed. So as someone who's constantly, you know, seeking out new challenges, coming up with new ideas, and have had a track record of being successful, how do you determine which ideas that you're going to put your effort into versus ones that you pass on or say maybe not no, but not right now or not yet?
1: Oh, that's another good question. Um, First thing is passion. I have to feel that passion for it. I have to feel that energy that, Oh my gosh, I want to do this. Like if I'm not super geared up for something, you know, because I think having the right mindset and having that energy in your heart that you want to take it across the line is almost 80% of it. Um, and research. Um, I really try to research things before I jump in now. Um, whereas in my younger years I was just like, yeah, let's do this. Um, for example, ultra running, you know, I've had, um, some folks talk to me about ultra running and would I get involved in it? And maybe, and it's something that interests me, but I'm at a phase where I'm doing a whole lot of research and if I never run an ultra, I'll be fine. Um, but it's something where, yeah, that looks really interesting. I want to learn more about it. And, um, there's passion there. I love now, uh, you know, your running kind of changes, right? Well, like we all change in life. Like life just changes. And, Running is, for me, a lifelong sport. It has been. And um, what's interesting is that I'm doing different things with my running now than before. Um, I feel like when I was a competitive athlete, I was really kind of pigeonholed into what I was training for. You know, you're really training for some specific things, and then you've got to make that big adjustment to switch to something different and whatnot. And now I have a little bit of freedom in terms of choosing what I might like to get into. And so... It's been it's been fun, Um, and it's certainly. um, You asked me about being a novice earlier. I don't know that I answered it properly. Um, It's kind of cool to come back and sit in the back of the classroom. You know, like it's kind of cool to be like the kid that you know showed up late and is sitting in the back chewing gum because I've never been that kid with everyone like raising their hands in the front. That's kind of the only analogy I can give for it. Um, I love that I can give others advice um, in this space. I think that, you know, helping others is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I love that I challenge myself in different ways. Um, My goals are certainly different. I mean, it's, it certainly was hard. You know, the first track workout I had was hard because it just crushed me. I thought, man, like, what was my time for that 200? Man, I used to just click these off. Like, you know, they were real easy. And, you know, I'm also a mom. So, um, so I did run those 11, 12 minute miles. Um, actually it was my, my partner who encouraged me to come back into running. And he said, you know, running was such a big part of your life. Um, there was this like running mom's group. He was like, you know, after having a baby and everything, like maybe it would be fun to like reconnect. And I thought, um, mm, uh, maybe. Okay. So, I signed up for this turkey trot and i did the whole thing i wore the turkey tutu and everything and i was like you know, i wanted to fit in i was like yeah i can do this and meanwhile it's like it's kind of me but it's not me i was like man like do i am i really wearing like am i dressed like a turkey actually
0: right because there's no way you would have done that at age 20 right
1: oh i was such a serious like i was like a serious runner i had to have like the serious like outfit right so I'm on the line and we start going and i'm running and i'm running with the a lead pack of guys and the one guy turned to me and said um i thought i heard you said you had a baby and i said yeah i said two months ago and he was like man he's like but like you used to run right and like everyone's <laughs> getting nervous about me right, right. i said yeah i mean yeah you know i used to run was, and i heard his friend mumble he's like maybe you should get yourself a coach or something <laughs> they're just like you know like don't bust open our our turkey track like go run in the like with the moms or whatever, I don't know. It was just, it was really a funny conversation, and that stuck in my head. Um, and then actually, like
0: you, you have a couple of those, right? <laughs> it's like it's like the same, it's like the same situation that happened at like the the Arizona Rock and Roll half.
1: Oh, it's a li- I guess so. It was, it was a little, but like, yeah, yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit similar. Um, but then I thought, you know, how do you find a running coach? Like that's like a, I mean, I don't know. It, you know, it, for me. You know, I've had some really amazing coaches that just inspired me and like that I could. And I thought, like, how am I at my age? First of all, how am I going to listen to someone? Right. Because it's, you know, like I'm like I've, I'm kind of different. It's not I'm new to the sport, but I'm not new to the sport. Um, Actually, I was messaging back and forth with Kate. And I said, I, I see that you're with McCurdy Train and I was like, what, you know, what do you think? And she spoke so highly of you guys and I had a conversation with James and he was like I think I know a coach that you like really with, And he was spot on like I absolutely love Sarah. She is just so amazing. I I
0: You love- two are so similar. I've had the privilege of now talking to both of you. I just like you both <laughs> you're both so smart. You're both like so good at communicating the things that you believe. You both are, you know, high level runners in your own right at various stages in your career. And so I, I can see you two getting along famously.
1: She, she's so cool. And we both share, um, you know, the the bond of being a new mom and um, all of that. And I just know, you know, I, I send her these notes after some of, I, I'm sure like I must be one of her hard people to coach because she'd give me these, um, these training runs in the beginning and I'd come back and I'd say, oh, look, like, you know, I ran X, Y, and Z. And there'd be a long pause. You'd like, oh, that's great. Um, yeah, but like, I want you to run at pace, actually. That's not the point of this. You know, like, the, the point of this, you know, exercise is to, da da da. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, I knew that. I knew that. Okay. You know, then I go back thinking, <laughs> hey, I did this. She's like, well, actually, though, but you were supposed to run like, da da I'm like, ah, dang it. And I'm just, I, I'm always the girl that's like, okay, you know, it's always the wind with me. I'm like, man, it's so windy. And, I, you know, I'm running in all these really weird places because I'm traveling in my RV. So I literally did a half marathon. Actually, my fastest half, half marathon was in an RV parking lot in Louisiana. And I just kept running the parking lot. I was just so mad that I had to run in a parking lot. I was just like running and running and running. And, um, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with my Garmin because it talks so much. And it's telling me, you know, you're too fast, you're too slow. But at any rate.
0: Yeah, Louisiana parking lot. Um. <laughs> that's that's hysterical, right? Well, you're, you that that anecdote reminds me of like, and I'm one of these people too. Um, that treat workout times like most people treat speed limit signs. Yes, like that's the that's the minimum. Yeah, coach. Yeah, that's not the goal. Yep. that's the minimum. Yep. and I will let you know if I can beat it, and that is the that is what I will plan on doing.
1: Oh yeah, especially when like. Some of my first speed workouts, I was like, no, surely like I'm going to run, you know, whatever in my in my head. And um, but no, she's she's been great. And what I love about her is I'm sure I just feel in my heart like she can totally see through my BS, too. And that is the kind of coach I need. Like I need someone who just, you know, gets me, you know. (laughs) So it's been great.
0: Right. And you know, so Sarah's run incredibly well. She's been on this show. I had a chance to interview her. Uh, live at CIM back in 2018. Um, and she actually, people like the Matt Fitzgerald book where he trained with the Nazalite, Sarah actually plays an integral role later in that book of calling Matt on his BS. Oh, really? Which was which is great. I really recommend cool. that book actually of the audiobook version and the hardcover. Um, I shouldn't say like I've the, the physical book and I have the audiobook. And in both of them, you know, obviously it's the same story, but in in that book, Sarah's great because like, James didn't go down to you know didn't go down to Arizona like to train with Sarah Crouch like he didn't even know Sarah Crouch and she played <laughs> such a central role in like being like no you're capable of X you're capable of Y here you go and it was, it was so interesting how how she how she figured so prominently in later stages of that book as Matt um, did did an incredible job of setting a, a personal best at an advanced age which is always exciting so. You're doing incredible stuff. You have done incredible stuff. What's on tap for you? What are you currently working on and what's after that?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm really excited. Uh, my new Oka Flyer um, kind of representation has been really great. They're an amazing company to work with. And so I truly would like to be doing some charity um, work through that. And so I have a, a lot of ideas. There are a lot of causes I want to get more involved in. Training-wise, um, I've just been kind of sampling like you know all the different chocolates if that makes any sense so I've got a 5k uh, excuse me a 10k coming up in person which I'm excited for I haven't raced in person I ran three um virtual 5ks and since then I've shaved four minutes off my 5k time which Oof. me um yeah which for me so I did that between like December and um I want to say February, like end of February. Um, so
0: I haven't asked you any times yet. And I know the listeners it, pi- piping up on there own, like, ask her the time. <laughs> she got four minutes, but how fast was the fastest one?
1: So the fastest one, um, like recorded was, um, 20 minutes and 20 seconds, something around there. Um, so when I had started this, like my post-pregnancy times were like 24 minutes, something around there. And my goal is to well, I mean, it's an ambitious goal. I'd like to get it um, certainly under 19 um, and just kind of see what happens after that. Um, I let's see my uh, the half marathon I ran. I ran at seven minute pace. I don't know what that adds up to. There are some sub seven
0: about one thirty two ish.
1: Yeah, like so it was probably one thirty four something around there. Um, I would have to look for the specific and I'd like to get that down as well um a marathon maybe you know i almost want to run an ultra before a marathon and i don't understand why i don't know why like the marathon isn't pulling me in more but um that could totally change um also just we should
0: say that of, of any day to be really excited about doing an ultra today is the day that Des Linden just set the 50 K world record. That's right. She's
1: totally amazing. I was so happy to see that. I mean, she's just, that just made my day. She's so incredible. Um, But I think just, you know, the, the ultra folks I ran with in New Mexico, they, they were awesome people. And um, just hearing them talk about ultras made me really give it some more thought. Um, And um, one guy even offered He was like you know if you want to do room to room in the Grand Canyon like I'll do it with you and I thought that would be cool and there's something about um just the adventurous places where you can do them that really calls to me I love travel so much and now the different spots I've been able to run in man it's gonna be hard to go home and run around my neighborhood because I've just seen some incredible places and I've, I've done some fun stuff I mean I got to run on the Daytona international speedway track. Um, I've gotten to run through these national parks where just they're phenomenal. Um, and so, uh, I, I like the adventurous part of it. So I want to keep doing that. I want to keep, um, going in a few more States at least. Um, we'll see how far we get before, you know, other responsibilities pull me back East. Um, and I think some of the causes I'd like to provide more of a voice to are certainly, um, Suicide awareness and prevention—it certainly had an impact on me and many people that I know. Um, also, uh, just trauma and how people um, can get through it, um, can cope with it, etc. I think running is a, a big gateway into kind of healing for a lot of different things, and um, so I really want to help people with that. Um, long-term goal, someday has always been for me to set up a camp um, where people who are suffering from trauma and kids who have different needs, whatever can come and have a beautiful place where they can run. They can surf. I love surfing. Like I like, I like other sports other than running too. Although I do most of the running, Um, but just have a place where they can enjoy the outdoors because I never had that as a kid. Um, You know, it's funny. um, I just, we really just didn't have resources. And so even something small, like going to a national park, was impossible for me. And I'm aware that that's still true for kids today. Um, and I think if through any of my efforts, I can be an inspiration to people, whether it's, uh, you know, new moms that want to get into running, you can totally do it. I'm like, you know, I'm able to pull down my time and anyone can. You know, we really can. I think for kids who are just um, having a tough time in high school and, and a bad spot, maybe um, there there is definitely light ahead. Um, You know, I I think hard work is um, certainly a part of it. And I think patience and hanging in there. um, But there definitely are people who out there who want to help people succeed. Um, I wouldn't be here if there weren't, you know, I had coaches, I had people um, in my career who really wanted me to succeed. And I think um, what running did for me was it just created a, a backbone. Um, for me to kind of build other things off of, um, with that confidence and, um, just with the experience of putting yourself out there, um, especially as a young person and trying, um, you know, because it's, you walk out onto that track sometimes and there's a stadium full of people. I was always super intimidated. I'd think, oh my God, like, look at all those people. Um, and that gun goes off and, you know, that's kind of your moment to figure out real quickly, um, do it or, you know, uh, are you going to back up and, you know, not do it. And there were some races that I I had some tough races. I had ones where I got completely boxed in and couldn't get out and just thought, man, like there goes my shot at States as, you know, a 10th grader or, you know, um, there certainly those, those tough stories and those tough lessons. And I have them all, um, I have all the pictures for all of them because we had such an awesome track photographer in high school, I had some of these pictures where I'm like, man, like I was having a really bad day. Wow. Like, you know, I, I had some real, um, you know, crazy post-race faces and expressions and emotions going on. I was like, I have them all in this book that I keep in, um, the other day we were going through and I was like, wow, like that, that was, that was a tough race. <laughs> I can almost do <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Cheryl. Thank you so much for coming on the show it's been an absolute blast I feel like I could do a whole nother hour here um, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on and good luck with everything that you're doing
1: thank you so much I really really appreciate it thank you
0: Matt Fitzgerald welcome back I'm so excited to talk to you um, for the between the lines. Segment No, Running between the lines, we had a, a listener name the segment. I'm, I'm excited by it. Um, we've done this now for a month, so I'm excited to have you on to talk about a piece that you recently put out on Podium Runner, uh, talking about how Ethi- do Ethiopians train differently than us, or not us, but like do they train differently? Yes, no, and it really goes into a book that Michael Crowley wrote, Into Thin Air. Um, is that actually, is that the name of the book? Out of Out of Thin out Air. Out of Thin Air. I keep. I, Every time I say, it, I'm like, no, that's John Krakow You, yeah, he you're confusing the your books. Thin air. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that <laughs> exactly. Um, which I love that book, and I was excited to talk to you about it, as someone who obviously has read it uh, as well. And when you're you you write all the time, you've written books, you write on your blog, you put out stories like this one um, uh, for a variety of different websites and things like that. Uh, when you're coming up with, um, you know, kind of going into someone else's work and someone else who's written something and, and kind of digesting their work. What's that like for you as someone who probably has their own work digested by other writers?
2: Well, you know, I it, it, it reminded me of my days as a, an English major. I mean, like even going back to literature classes in high school, you know, I remember reading Moby Dick and you know the Scarlet Letter and whatever. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you read a book and you got to write a paper about it. So I mean that's you know years of training to fall back on, but I you know usually when I read something you know especially something I take a an interest in I have a take on it you know so I don't really have to force it I read the book and I know I'm probably going to you know write something about it so I just you know I come away with a take and and
0: uh,
2: yeah that it, uh, it's not something I really have to force
0: right and I had so many takeaways from this book i really enjoyed it and i i recommend i think i've mentioned maybe once or twice in this podcast before i I definitely recommend people go out and read it actually the audiobook is very well done as well if you're more if you're listening to this so you like audio content so maybe give that a try um and 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 i really enjoyed it as well you went into three specific parts again i advise anyone to go over to podium runner to check this out in fact they have a great little pass you can sign into like a whole year's worth of of articles on a bevy of websites for like ninety seven dollars, I think. So it's it's, it's a great deal, uh, and it definitely supports a lot of it's a lot of writers and, and, and a lot of those things. So you talked about specifically three things that really stood out to you, and I'm reading them now, um, which is, means I'll probably read them incorrectly. You know, Environment driven periodization was the first thing, um, and then also you get into how their easy runs are. I put easy in quotes. It's a very unique way of approach. an easy run. And then also when they're running on trails, they're not really running on a trail. They're kind of running next to a really nice trail, but not running uh, specifically. Um, there's a lot of potential takeaways. What about those three takeaways drew your interest and in, were things that you wanted to address in this piece?
2: I guess, um, you know, when I was reading it, I was thinking of uh, what I would communicate to a runner I coached you know, if like there's a, you know, a takeaway that I would actually find beneficial for an athlete I was responsible for. Um, And also I thought about what other runners reading the book might be taking away from it. And I didn't want to just reiterate the obvious. And I think, you know, most like American or Western runners or non Ethiopian runners reading the book would be struck by how different, you know, how, how very different so many things were about their training. But but for me, I was actually struck by how superficial the differences were and how it really just those differences only ended up validating like core principles, universal principles of training. You know, it's not like there are a million different ways to get to the mountaintop as a runner. Um, you know, there's latitude, but there are certain rules you got to obey. Um, so that's I, I wanted to sort of. um deliver that message by highlighting three specific things, which, yeah, absolutely are different about Ethiopian training, but they're not, they don't, they don't radically redefine the principles, you know, basically it, you know, the mess I wanted to, I wanted people reading it to understand you don't have to move to Ethiopia to become the best runner you can be, you know, you can, you can basically do, do what they're doing in, an American way if you live in America, or a German way if you live in Germany. Um, so yeah, so the the three specific things, and I could have picked others because you know, it really is different there on 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 certain levels. But yeah, the three I picked were just uh, I you know just good examples of things that um, are different, but don't uh, don't really defy core principles of run training.
0: Yeah, it was, and it's funny that it's funny listening to Michael Crowley, the author, kind of go through his time there. Um, the nice thing—we were talking about this briefly uh, before we started recording. It's so nice having him write this. Not only is he completely um, well versed, not only in the literature and you know the study of um, different populations, and you know he's he's an academic entering this field, spends 18 months down there. This is a um, an academic work of sorts, right? It's for popular consumption, but it is somewhat of an academic work by someone who has the training to do such a thing. But he's also a really, really good runner. So, somebody who, you know, a sub 66 half marathon or, you know, someone who could, who would, you know, if he lived in the United States, would be qualifying for the Olympic trials and, and you know, an, an elite level type runner going down there running with some of the best runners in the world or people who turn out to be some of the best runners in the world a couple of years later. And that was a great thing to see, not only because he could kind of digest what's happening in the context of how this relates to other elites, which I think for, say if I were to go down there, I wouldn't know how to put into context of other elites. I put in the context of me, maybe, which is the other end of the spectrum. But it was interesting to see how he viewed it. And then also how he was getting his butt kicked <laughs> the entire time. Um, and that was also another thing to see. Like, wow, like I would view Michael Crowley and rightfully so as this, High-level runner, and this is completely out of his league from a running perspective. Yeah,
2: Crowley's an impressive dude. I mean, you know, he—I uh, mean, he was a good enough runner to make it work. I mean, quite honestly, if he—if he, we—we if he, we wouldn't have—we wouldn't have gotten to read a lot of the stuff we read if he couldn't have hung on, you know, to the caboose of, of those training groups. Uh, so yeah, he was out of his depth, but he was just good enough to be there, you know, for moments that were worth reading about. And then you know he learns the language while he's there. I mean, he doesn't make he doesn't break his arm, patting his own back about it. But he he learned to speak a brand new language and a very different and you know by his a uh, difficult one. Uh, and you know just you know it's sort of gutsy to 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 do the whole thing, even attempt what he did.
0: And um,
2: yeah, so he's kind of a guy I would like to have a, a pint with after after reading his book. <laughs>
0: For sure, and it's interesting because, and, and he talks about this a little bit, but he does a great job of not, um, as you, you know, as you, as you said, far better than I was about to try to, kind of patting his own, you know, patting his back here. Um, oftentimes, we don't hear as much about Ethiopia for two main reasons. The first one is just the language barrier. Right. Oftentimes when people head to that area of the world, they head to Kenya because the language barrier isn't there. So if you're a documentarian, a writer who speaks English or at least has some grasp of English, maybe you're not coming from an English speaking uh, country, but you have a working knowledge of it. It allows you to. All right. Here's one thing that I can. (laughs) And here's I'm not adding to my list of hurdles here. Um, Whereas Ethiopia, I think oftentimes gets lumped in with Kenya. Be from an outsider uh, point of view, by that I mean, like geographically speaking, um, because of their you know, because they're coming from a similar part of the world, because they're having similar success on the world stage for running. But when you say you you read or watch something about, say, E10 in the Rift Valley in Kenya, and then you read this, it's very different in terms of the locale where you're talking about in an urban area where he's spending a lot of time in and. You're also talking about situations where the folks and he he brought this up early on the book, which I was fascinated by because I didn't know this. I'd love to hear your reactions to it as well. When you read it was that like running there is not just a sport is a sport for people who are fairly affluent, because if you're not, then you can't be wasting all this time running when you should be. You know, supporting yourself, making money, doing all these things. I feel like there is this generalization that, hey, you know, this is for, this is a sport for anybody over there that if you know you live in some of these communities, that that's just the way of life. That's just the culture. And he paints this picture of that's not necessarily so. He doesn't harp on it, but it was striking when you compare it to the general zeitgeist of how that sort of training modality is, is perceived from afar
2: yeah that that was interesting. you know I mean I, I learned a ton from the book, but that was one of the most surprising elements. you know he he made a point uh, of you know uh, underscoring that you, you know you can't nowhere in the world can you achieve success in running through miracles. <laughs> you know there are no, there are no miracles like you like the, the, like the, the ingredients have to be there. And and he said, actually, compared to, you know, where I'm from, for him, you know, Scotland, the UK, he said, actually, runners are better supported there, like they have more support. It's like, it's basically like just enough, you know, it's like survival and get by. And, you know, the the people who get to that level who are, you know, who are able to join the clubs and, and get the support, they take a tremendous personal risk to get to that point. Um, You know, they're really rolling the dice and they'll pay a huge price if it doesn't work out. Um, But then once they once they get to that level, I mean, it's like, how much do you really need? And in fact, you know, arguably like, you know, maybe too much support um, will make you soft. You know, it's like if you're like, you know, if you're 18 years old and you've shown some talent, won a few races and then you're just showered with millions of dollars, it might take the hunger out of you but so they have, it seems like they have broad support and it's enough so that, you know, they get, you know, their three square meals a day or whatever, you know, a decently comfortable place to sleep, um, coaching, you know, training partners, like, you know, rides on those insufferably stuffy buses where they don't open the windows. And one of my best friends is from Kenya, by the way. And I actually traveled to Kenya with him and he, and he pointed out to me, cause I, I bought the uh, copy of the book for him too. He's like, do you remember? It's the same way in Kenya. They have the same superstition about, like, fresh air.
0: <laughs> oh, my God, the fresh air thing. I could not – I had to, like, re-listen to that segment because I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you're, yeah. You're, fresh air is going to hurt you? What is going on here? <laughs> well, you know,
2: every country is, like, weird in certain ways, and yeah, I guess that's that's an idiosyncras- uh, idiosyncrasy of in that part of the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. So some of the other things, obviously – there's so much literature, and you've covered it in, in a couple of your books about the power of running in groups. And oftentimes we focus on like on the, the mental side, the emotional side. And there certainly is the physical side too. And how bad you want it, you talk about that extensively. One thing that I never heard before, or never seen before, was how they talk about how like the, the running in lines method where they have people following each other literally in their footsteps, not metaphorically, literally in their footsteps, they have these, this, this, this short, quick cadence. And it was such an interesting thing to hear Michael describe it because it seemed like he never got used to it, but it seemed to be something that was unique to that area, which again, I can't say whether or not that, that that's part of the reason why a lot of the people who do that um, are successful, but it was interesting to hear michael not only talk about how um how they run when they're running in groups but how he couldn't adapt to it
2: yeah i mean that, that that's one of the nice things about the fact that this was a professionally trained anthropologist because i think he did a pretty good job of you know making sense of of it where you know i guess maybe from a purely technical perspective you're like well what's the point of that i mean it, you know the the coach is like really insisted on no you got to synchronize your strides but you know I think uh Crowley's observation was like you know there's something to it like you know there the idea there is to really get absorbed into the group where you know the, the idea is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and that's part of what makes that magic happens like you know, is it absolutely necessary to insist on, you know, keeping the group together and synchronizing, uh, you know, stride cadences? No, but it does. It It's not pointless either. You know, it, it contributes to one of the, you know, the core strengths of, you know, the Ethiopian system, as it were.
0: Right. And he makes it very clear that it helped drag him along on runs where it, maybe if that wasn't how they were forming the pack. That he might not have been able to hang on.
2: Yeah, it's almost like you know he, the way he describes it. It's almost like the the you know their objective, at least from the coach's perspective, and the athletes who buy in, is like they're trying to create a super organism out out of the the running group. It's like we don't know for sure, you know who which individuals are going to emerge out of out of this collective and be successful, but whoever does will be better than they possibly could have been otherwise.
0: Right. It reminded me of like of like you know, I listened to this book when it was it was you know of the season and seen like a flock of birds come through like you from New England, you've seen the migrating birds. they're like in this big pack, they all seem to be moving as one. You're like, how are they communicating? what what is this? What are we watching here? And it that's that's the visual that you get from reading this book and you're like, all right, like it's easy to see, especially for somebody who may be new to the group, or is kind of coming into their own, who isn't necessarily a group leader or a team leader, how this would be so beneficial in order for them to, to be part of this group, and then ultimately for that group to be successful because it seems like a nice way of bringing people along without having to segment the groups into like, okay, these three people are going to go this way, these two people are going to go that way, um, these four people who are new are going to go go do this route where they all kind of stay together maybe not 100% of the time for an entire training block, but maybe more than you would expect.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating because I I think, you know, maybe if you just, you know, you know, got the Cliff's Notes version of this book, you would think, oh, it's just like, you know, they throw a bunch of eggs against the wall and see which one, you know, you know, doesn't break, but they had, there was nuance to it. Like, yes, you know, everyone runs together from, you know, you know, the top runner, uh, like, Sadat Ayana, who, you know, is a 206 marathoner, to Crowley, who's like, not that fast, you know, 220 a marathoner. 216
0: marathoner, right? Like a 10, right. 10 whole 10 minutes, but yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but they would like, you know, they, he described how they used like this kind of zigzagging technique so that the, the, the runners who were, you know, threatening to fall off the back had a chance to keep up. So no one was actually taken too far out of their depth. So, you know, they, they had like... They had nuance to their their way of doing things so that, you know, nobody was really just thrown against the wall (laughs) and smashed into bits, though Crowley seems to have come pretty close. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Let me ask you a question. All right. So we've you've covered you did you did a similar examination with the Nazalite. Obviously, you were the focus of it, but a lot of people took a lot from what you learned In that situation, right? Michael was much more focused on the group, not necessarily on himself. Adoran Finn has done something similar in Kenya, in Japan, where he was kind of in between you guys in terms of uh, his folk, the focus of his work. Um, So we have four different groups there, right? I didn't ask you this ahead of time. I'm just kind of just kind of coming to me right now as we're talking if you were going to have like one or two groups that'd be kind of next on the list where someone who's going to take a serious in-depth look into when you, when we'd have the chance to, you know, read a book about their experiences, is there a certain group country, you know, what, what what group would you love to see an in-depth look into that we haven't seen yet?
2: Boy, you know, if you think in terms, I mean, there are plenty of other groups in the States, but like, in terms of like what hasn't been done yet, you know, I mean, just putting on my, my writer's hat, like, if I could go somewhere and do something, I mean, I would love to be a mole, like, with the Ingebrigtsen clan in Norway, you know, where it's, like, it's, mu- it's like, you know, like, what, three, three brothers and their dad? Uh, like, you know, what you don't want to do is say, you know, like, what's the sequel? Because, like, that's no good. <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> After a while, you know, the, the formula is played out and you got to mix up the formula. But that would be kind of cool where it's like it's not like a culture. It's one family. Um, but I mean, what a hell of an amazing family. Um, so, I mean, that's just I'm, I'm talking off the top of my head, but uh, let's see if I can make that happen.
0: <laughs> that's a great one. That is, hopefully someone is embedded. Obviously, you don't know until a couple of years later. When they publish, sometimes you get like little, little pieces, right. They'll put out like a thousand word essay to like keep paying the bills while they're embedded. But, um, hopefully someone's doing something. Obviously it being an Olympic year, this would be a great time to do it. All right, Matt, thank you for joining me for this segment. I'm loving these Friday segments. I really appreciate it. And like I tell all the writers who come on here, if you ever have something that you want to discuss, I'd love to have you back. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. I'll keep writing so that I can come back.
0: Cheryl and Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, big shout out to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. Also, don't forget McCurdy Train. So if you're looking for a running coach, I would love to coach you. Also, there are a number of other coaches that McCurdy trained that would love to coach you as well. It is one of, if not the largest coaching services in the country, not because they're looking to you know bring in all sorts of people, but because of the service that they provide to the runners that are under their care. And it's just such a privilege to work with them and to work with the runners that I currently work with. And it's just it really is something that I truly love every single day. So thank you so much to both of them. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you really liked it, go share it with a friend, either in person, via email or over on social media. Thank you so much for listening and happy running.